Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 270. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we have Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Uh, this week on the show we have two indie reviews lined up for you with Stephen Cohen's Princess Sid alongside Innocencio's Most Beautiful Island. We'll also be going over some of what we've been watching on the watch list, new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. I think... First, today we should probably mention, as of probably, I don't know, an hour before this recording, news broke about the shooting in Texas. I felt like I should just mention it on here. Have you read about this? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, So there was a shooting in a church in Texas. Uh, I guess it was outside of San Antonio. 27 people, as of now, uh, were killed many others injured Uh, it's just i hope that this doesn't become normalized i don't want anybody to just hear about horrible mass shootings like this and then just move on with their day and not feel like this is that this is something that's normal you know uh it's such a horrible tragedy every time this happens and i mean we're 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 so I mean, we're not that far removed from what happened in Las Vegas, and it just it seems like every week almost there's something horrible that's happening, usually due to gun violence in this country. And it's just we need to continue this conversation until something gets done about it because it's out of control at this point. Uh, and and the whole you know you you see like Paul Ryan getting on Twitter and you know, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, and it's like, dude. It was in a church, okay? If 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 it works anywhere, if thoughts and prayers work anywhere, it's going to be in a church. So just can it with that shit, and let's have some actual gun control laws passed that prevent this thing from happening. Probably not, though. No, I mean, when you look at things like Sandy Hook, you know, after Sandy Hook happened, you're, you're like, well, surely, surely something must be done about this. Surely somebody's going to do something. It's it's just no. it's absolutely terrible. Um, just such an awful, awful thing that just continues to happen over and over again. And I feel like it's at some point something's got to give with this. You know, just just last week uh, here in the city, that guy just decided to run over a whole bunch of people in front of a school. Mm-hmm. Thank God that New York has stricter gun control policies or else he might have had automatic weapons and decided to go in the middle of Times Square and start shooting. I just thought that uh, it's it's something that we should mention. It's not movie related, but it's very much a topic that I think everyone should be discussing with their family and friends. Uh, on a slightly still depressing note, but more movie related is we. I think we should actually develop a segment on the show that just revolves around these uh these sexual harassment scandals that that keep popping up or allegations rather uh i'd rather not <laughs> since there've been a slew there've been a slew yeah. of people being uh accused of misconduct since we talked about it last uh Brett Ratner was the latest one always knew he was a sleaze bag i think that was another situation where it was pretty much an open secret and a lot of um, really Mm -hmm. brave women stepping forward talking about how he's been an absolute sleazebag one of the one of the more surprising um, people that that's come under under fire is Kevin Spacey your man Kevin Spacey yeah how 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 bad was that yeah like how bad how big of a hit was that when you when you read that because because i know you're you were a big fan of his i know well it's not a big hit at all like i i'm not like this is something that i don't quite understand with people how they have like this like emotional investment in like celebrities like i like kevin spacey but you give me that information i'm just like well i don't like him anymore don't you think if like drop somebody some like a filmmaker like uh, like probably a director that you like just love their work like you have 
an emotional investment in their work. Uh, I mean, I know for me that there are some movies and some filmmakers who I believe have like shaped me into who I am. Like, I feel like there's some films that are kind of a core part of me. And for if I if news broke that one of these filmmakers turned out to be you know a horrible human being who did awful things, uh, it would affect me. I think I think that it would it would really affect me. Not so much actors. Like actors, I'm not sure that I would be as uh, appalled. Not appalled. That's the <laughs> wrong word. Um, I guess affected by. Yeah. But you know, I was a I was a pretty big fan of Spacey, also. So yeah, it definitely um, comes as a shock, and it's terrible. And Netflix is severing their ties with him, and I'm sure that he is probably going to have a difficult time getting work at this point. I would hope so. Remains to be seen. Agreed. You know, you could see him, and well, with. With four or five years time or whatever. With Spacey, he's kind of he's he's kind of the king of the comeback, right? Like his when you look at his career, he had lots of peaks and valleys. Like there was a while where he was just the man. He was getting nominated for Oscars, and then he kind of fell off for a while, and then he started to come back. Yeah. So I don't know if that if he's going to be able to rebound from this or not. I don't know. Either way, it's uh, still pretty shitty times that we're living in. Yeah, I mean, it's getting a little bit better because now they're getting out and left. Well, that, right. that's yeah. I mean, that's the silver lining. If you can, if you can, you know, make one in, in all of this is that suddenly people are coming forward left, right and center exposing these these monsters. And I, I think that that's definitely progress. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about our first movie. I think we're going to do Princess Sid just because I have it in front of my eyes at this point. This is written and directed by Stephen Cohn. I have a synopsis here. Eager to escape life with her depressive single father, 16-year-old athlete Sid Laughlin visits her novelist aunt in Chicago over the summer. While there, she falls for a girl in the neighborhood, even as she and her aunt gently challenge each other in the realms of sex and spirit. Uh, Oh, Kevin, what do you think of Princess Sid? Uh, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> relatively breezy viewing. Uh, the synopsis, I think, is a bit misleading. Uh, and the main thing that I, would, I think is wrong is that the the whole challenging each other, the realms of sex and spirit, like it, it does broach that topic especially the spirit i would one, say but i would say influence each other or learn from yeah. each other because it, it seems like that's more more so what it is like they they're they're, yeah. they're subtly influencing each other but even like the spirit part of that i mean there's like some talk of it towards the beginning yeah, that i didn't but really see it, too much it doesn't it never really gets into it outside of like one little conversation that they have you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think it really delves into that too deeply. I thought that that was pretty, um, you know, somewhat basic. But uh, yeah, I think you know, for the most part, rather enjoyable. Um, it didn't wow me or anything, and uh, I thought the performances were great. The I enjoyed the pacing of it. Like I said, it's pretty breezy. You know, I it's a tough one. Uh, I yeah I I sort of feel the exact same way. I enjoyed the film. I was entertained by it. I agree that the performances were uh, pretty great across the board. Uh, there there's not a lot here to really talk about for me. It's n- I don't I don't have that many criticisms with it. But at the same time, it, it just came and went. It's not a movie that's going to really stick with me. Uh, I probably will forget about it by the end of the year perhaps and and perhaps. i don't mean that as like a big negative or anything like that it's just that it's one of these movies where you watch it and you're like oh okay that was good and then that that's it like that's the extent <laughs> of the conversation you can you can really have with it i think that you know you can discuss the relationship between sid and her and her aunt and 
sort of the the influence that they had on each other and the ways that they sort of evoked this positive change in each other. But yeah. the thing about that is that it's just it's it's so subtle and which is I guess a good thing. Um, it is a good thing because it is. I mean, th- there's no way around it. This is a this is one of those things that we usually kind of make fun of. You know, where it's these, you know, they learn. Life <laughs> yeah, they learn. They learn from each other. other. Yep. And it. I mean, it. It comes so close to just you know going over that threshold and just being you know ridiculous in that vein of you know being a message film and learning life lessons and but i he stevie Cohn seems to he like he brushes up against it but he's always able to like pull it back mm-hmm. that it doesn't completely cross over to where you're just like oh, you gotta be kidding me you know like this this is just a bit too sentimental well i think that and saccharine but it, he does he, i think he pulled it, he always seems to pull it back just enough that it keeps you in it or at least it did for me yeah he keeps things very grounded uh this this the stakes are not huge like there's not all of these giant conflicts that are that are coming up around these two characters uh the the aunt is basically just living her life as she would normally but she's just trying to include her niece in these aspects of her life and the niece just she's just growing up you know she's coming into her sexuality and she's just meeting people and experimenting and stuff like that so it's not like any anything earth shattering is happening in this film it all feels very (laughs) yeah very grounded in reality which i found interesting because then i don't think you've seen his last film which was henry gamble's birthday party no but in in that film, Henry Gamble's birthday party, it was, he almost overloaded that film with like conflict and drama. Like everyone had something going on. So it was, it was kind of interesting to see and a little bit refreshing that this one, the conflict was relatively light. Like there's barely any conflict in this movie. Yeah. And I kind of like that. I, I didn't, I didn't feel like it needed anything more than what it gave us. There, there yeah. were, there yeah. were a few, kind of um bigger moments that happened um some kind of surprising things that that occurred that i thought were handled uh really well but like you said it's it's just kind of light and breezy and slightly feel good Mm -hmm. i mean and i think the performances are a big part of that is like they're enjoyable people to be around right for an hour and a half or so you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's good company yeah, breezy good company. A lot of there's a lot of kind of nuance to the performances in this too. Like you can the conversations that they have. I like how uh, at the beginning when Sid first came over, she kept talking over the aunt. Like that was just like an ongoing thing. She kept interrupting her and talking over her, and there were just small small details like that. And then like the aunt's reactions to some of the things that she says where she's trying to be like very clearly like whatever Sid said was like either annoying to her or she disagreed, but she just tried to go along with it. And just her, her mannerisms I thought really complimented the performance. Yeah. It definitely works in the context of, you know, she hasn't seen her niece in years. And like you said at the beginning, there's, she talks over her a lot. She actually says a lot of stuff. that's like, kind of hurtful but she just says it in such a nonchalant way mm-hmm. that i don't think she really realizes like how hurtful she's being right but she does at the end which you know shows yeah. growth there's some growth gr- there's some growth in this they're learning from each other they're learning every which way she the, and the, the aunt's learning to go out get some sun you know maybe maybe think about having some sex she's she's learning immaturity from the young one and the young one is learning maturity from the older yeah, so one. they're going to even each other out there you go it's all about that balance mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gotta find that balance but i i also enjoyed the way that the um sid's sexuality is brought up where i thought like for whatever reason i thought that this was going to be like like the crux of the movie mm-hmm. like, i thought that this was going to be like everything kind of hinged on this 
and she just kind of brings it up in like a nonchalant conversation while they're both sitting out getting some sun and then it's just it's done it's just it is what it is there's no conflict with it there's nothing to, you know it's not dramatized where it's, you know all this drama is brought out it's just it is what it is yeah which i thought was nice yeah i appreciated that definitely one uh, no there's a, I, I don't i hesitate to even mention this but there was one thing that slightly bothered me and it's the dumbest little nitpick uh i don't like it in movies when people take phone calls and the person on the other line sounds like they're talking to us in voiceover and that happens at the beginning when when the when she's talking to sid's dad mm, okay. it's just i mean i, I don't like <sighs> knock points or anything but it's just like something where anytime i notice that in a movie where it sounds like the person's not on the phone like she's talking to him on the phone but it's sounds like he's just in a recording studio you know mm, yeah it I don't know. For some reason, that bothers me. I think because it it breaks the immersion a little bit. It takes you out of it. You're like this, it, he does not sound like he is on a phone. That was just one little nitpick. The other kind of nit, slight, maybe slight nitpick I had was uh, there's a scene where Sid is having sex, and the aunt is like listening. She's like she she's like she's not deliberately listening, but she's there. And she can hear it happening, and she's just like, she's just like smile, and she's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for her. I'm proud of her. And that I was just like, uh, come on. Like I feel like in real life you'd be like, ew, 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 ew. You know, like she <laughs> just, you wouldn't want to hear that. Perhaps I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, they, to me, there's some some slight missteps here and there. Um, I thought the like the Q and A thing towards the end was a bit. I thought that was just a tiny bit hokey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, what happens after the sex scene, I thought was a little odd. Just seemed like an odd time to tell that story. Well, they, I knew that they were going to tell it at some, at yeah, some that, point. That's, that's what I mean. It felt like it was just like, oh yeah, we have to tell this story. Let's tell it now. Yeah. Like maybe they didn't know where, where to include that in the, in, in there. Cause I knew it was coming at some point. Because they, yeah. the way that they set it up at the beginning, you're like, okay, well, clearly they're gonna have to explain what that's all about. And I was hoping that they wouldn't, and it would just, you would just learn it through conversations and context clues. But that yeah. doesn't happen. No, it does not. Uh, so, and I mean, this one for me also interesting in the fact that, in some ways, I think this is um, a better film than Henry Gamble's Birthday Party. And then, in some ways, it's a lesser film. And on, you know, I, it's a tough one. Yeah, I, I, like I, I said, it's one of those that you, you enjoy, but at the same time, like the lasting power of this, I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. I was just like, it was, it was decent, but uh, not there's there wasn't a lot here for me to to really grasp onto, but it, it was. An entertaining watch, nonetheless. Uh, so this is going to be part of the early an early career retrospective of Stephen Cohn that's going to be at the Museum of Moving Image in New York. That is, yeah. uh, it's running now. So it's running. It started on the third. It's running through the twelfth of November. So if you're in the city, want to check that out, go to the Museum of Moving Image website and uh, find more information. Is this? I don't think this is out on like VOD or anything, is it? No, no, it's not. All right, let's go ahead and give Princess Sid a score. I will. I'll say like six and a half on this. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, we've been doing this too long. We're like almost on the exact same wavelength at this point. It was interesting because after, like, as I was watching and when I was done, I was like, yeah, that's a solid seven. As a solid seven, but in the in in the process of writing a review and then like trying to, you know, conjure up thoughts for this and then talking through it, it's just like, yeah, I don't. It's definitely not a solid seven for me. I could tell how shaky it was mm-hmm. through that process. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's Princess Sid. Keep a lookout for that. I'm not sure what the release schedule 
is for that. But uh, we'll surely have uh, Kevin's reveal be up by the time you're listening to this. And if it uh, hits any kind of wider release, we'll be sure to note it on the uh, website. Let's move on, talk about Most Beautiful Island. This is written, directed, and it stars Anna Asensio. I have a synopsis here. Most Beautiful Island is a chilling portrait of an undocumented young woman's struggle for survival as she finds redemption from a tortured past in a dangerous game. We do have a review for this, a uh, written review up on the site. Ken wrote a review for it. Uh, I think... I'll start this one off. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect with Most Beautiful Island. I read nothing about it. Um, I watched it. Ken, after he submitted his review, Ken was like, you know, you should check it out. I think you're going to like it. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a look. And then he mentioned something about uh, if you if you get squeamish around bugs and or if you have arachnophobia, just be warned. And I'm like, okay, now I'm really, now I'm really interested in this because I read the synopsis, I see the poster, and I'm like, what, what could that be? I was so confused by his when he told us that. And I was just like, I have to watch this now to see what what this is about because I, I for for some reason, and it's and it's totally my fault, but just through the again, the poster and like the, the stills that I saw, like the press material that I received, it just looked like it was sort of a, a drama about this young woman just trying to, to make ends meet in New York. I didn't realize that, I mean, this is pretty much a horror movie, what we're dealing with here. In some ways. Yeah. I was actually really confused because all I knew was what Ken, the little bit of information Ken gave us. So I sit down Number one, I'm super happy that I picked it because it was an hour and 19 minutes. Yep. It, Are you very, me? That's amazing. Yeah. Love very it. breezy. You have no idea how happy I was to see that. And then, you know, like 15 minutes into this movie, I'm just like, what? Is this the movie Ken was talking about? Mm-hmm. Or did I pick the wrong one? <laughs> what? How is this movie a thriller? I don't. I'm so confused. And then it started to make a little more sense. Oh, yeah. It it definitely it definitely ratchets up the thrills in the uh, in the final act for sure. Even yeah. even in this even like in Act Two, you're like the suspense builds. Uh, that's one of the things that I enjoyed the most about this was the level of suspense that it delivered. Uh, a lot of suspense, at least for me. I was very nervous <laughs> throughout a lot of this movie, especially because you don't know what the hell is going on. It's just, you know, the, the so uh, Anna Asensio plays this this woman, uh, Luciana, and she basically she she needs money very badly. She's working several part time jobs. She's a nanny. She's this uh, out outside uh, advertising for this like awful looking chicken place, and she needs extra money. So she, uh, one of her coworkers says, "I have this job tonight. I can't make it." You should go in my place. It's at a party or whatever. And she's like, all right, sure. I'll uh, entertain at a party or whatever it is. She goes and right off the bat, it's like, it seems sketchy as fuck. Cause they're like, <laughs> you, you can't take your bag. So you got to get rid of your bag. And then like they get, they give her a different address to go to than the one that she was given initially. So she has to like <laughs> go to this other place and then she has to get rid of her bag and her cell phone and then you end, she ends up in this like really creepy warehouse and there's all these other women that are just kind of standing in a circle. And you're just like, what the hell is happening here? And I'm not going to give it away because I think that's one of the most intriguing aspects of, of the film. Is Yeah. And what's the interesting thing that for me worked, it kind of worked, kind of didn't, is that everything up until that point when she gets to that basement and that warehouse is like, it's just essentially like a normal movie of her just you know working the nanny job and working the the chicken advertising job and her at home and this and that and it's just it's a completely different film up until that point right and then everything kind of just changes on you and the only thing that didn't really work for me was the like when she gets to the warehouse i thought that the the way that she 
kind of drew that out. I think she just, for me, it was just drawn out a bit too much. Where it's just a lot of them just standing yeah, around. Yeah, there was there are a lot of moments of them just standing around. Her kind of looking around, assessing the situation, trying to figure out what's going on. And I think that that was all uh, to build suspense. I think I think yeah. that was all designed around building the sp- suspense. But yes, I, there were a couple times there because you know every time somebody comes, every time that woman that that comes back through the door into the room, you're like, oh, she's gonna take her now. And then she doesn't, and you're like, okay, so we gotta, so we gotta wait now. <laughs> and she took somebody else, and now we gotta wait and see. And then, like, she wanted to, she had to use the bathroom. She tries to escape, and all this stuff. And you're just like, just go into the room. I just, I have to see what's going on in this room now. <laughs> so I, I do agree that there was um, kind of a certain level of frustration in that in that moment, but it it didn't really detract from from the film too much for me. Uh, I enjoyed that this was shot on 16 millimeter. I'm talked about it before. A huge fan of 16 millimeter. I mean, but to me, that was the the biggest the biggest aspect of it. Not necessarily it being shot on film, but her shooting style. Like I love the opening of just you know it's kind of this like voyeuristic, like just watching, mm-hmm. which you come to find is the women that show up at yeah. the end. You know, just like watching them from a distance, walking through New York and everything. And just a lot of the cinematography I found really compelling. Yeah. I've, Even when there wasn't a whole lot going on. Right. I mean, a lot of this. Because it is. Yeah. A lot of this takes place in a drab looking warehouse. And there's there's yeah, not a lot you can do with that. It's a lot of buildup. Mm-hmm. And some of the buildup is just it doesn't really pertain to what is happening at the end, I guess outside of providing a little bit of context of how much she needs the money, but still, you know, it feels like two detached movies. Yeah. Almost. I mean a lot, I think, yeah, I think a lot of it was, I think all of it was to portray just how in desperate need of money she is. Like she is just at the end of her rope. She can't, she's late on rent or she can't pay the rent. She's got, she's got nothing. And I think that that was all designed around. And then there was also this interesting little thing about her, I guess, daughter. Was it her daughter? Mm-hmm. That they just just touched on very briefly about something, an accident that happened that uh, evidently her daughter was killed, I guess. And yeah. they suspected foul play, but it was proven that she was that, that it was an accident. And maybe that's why she ended up leaving the country and coming to the States. But I think that uh, the the whole movie is supposed to be a like an immigrant story, right? It's about, you know, all of these yeah. women are immigrants, all of the women that are that are set. And it's supposed to be reflective of of how difficult it can be to come into this country as an immigrant and gain your footing and make a living and provide for yourself and your family. And it's it says it's based on a true story at the beginning of the film. I did a little bit of kind of cursory research to see what, what that's all about. And as far as I can tell, it's just, it says it's based on a true story just because it's, uh, it's based around some of the jobs that she had when she first moved to New York Mm -hmm. as a green card holder. So like she basically had to do a lot of these kind of shitty weird jobs in the city just to, to maintain her green card status. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff with the, the, her, her daughter or whatever. I don't know if that really was needed. Well, I don't know if that was really pertinent to the, well, the, yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that it's just, it comes and go, it's literally one conversation she has and it's just, it's so yeah. quick and it's never really touched upon again. It's just, that's what it is. And there we have it. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that really has any kind of merit on the rest of the film as a whole. It's not like she's trying to. It's not like that adds another uh, like pillar for her to, or another reason for her to want to get money to send it back home or something like that. It's, it's yeah. nothing like that. So, I mean, the only thing I can think of, but for me personally, I don't think it it doesn't work for me. It's just what. A decision that she makes at the end of the film, mm-hmm. but uh, to me that 
doesn't really work. No, that if that's what it was, it, that didn't work for me either. Uh, there was a scene somewhat early on in the in the film involving roaches that. Mm-hmm. Oh my good yeah. god that that scene. I mean that to me that was like right up there with the gummo bathtub scene. Mm-hmm. It it mm-hmm. was right up there. Like that's a scene that I probably won't ever forget. I hope I do. <laughs> it's just so Oh my god. If you I will like Ken said when we when he was talking to us before, if you get squeamish with bugs and insects and spiders and roaches in your movies, this one might be one to avoid because there are a few scenes, the the roach scene alone, because you can, because you can hear them, like you can hear them before she takes the the duct tape off, and you know that they're back there, and you're like, yeah, and it's, you're like, why, it's, why don't it's, don't take that off? Do not take that tape off. No. And as soon as she grabs like the corner of that duct tape, you're just like, what the fuck is you doing? <laughs> Don't do this. They just pour out. And, it, and then she just sits. And then, yeah, well. She just sits there. I, I'm sure that that was to show us that, you know, she has really good composure when it comes to that type of thing. Like she, this type of thing does not bother her at all. She remains calm. But holy shit. Yeah, I mean, I guess that could Like, be what are you trying to prove to yourself the, here? Like, if I... I mean, that might that might be a little bit of the daughter thing, too. Just to show that she's kind of dead That, that could be, maybe. yeah. That she just has this emptiness. But, I mean, you don't have to go out of your way. Yeah. To get the roaches into that situation. I mean, if it happens naturally, okay. But you don't need to make it happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh... That that was that was pretty brutal. And then what happens again? I'm not going to mention what happens at the end, but everything that happened in the in at the end, I was I was Which, just crawling. My, I just want to say this: when they first talk, you know, and she discusses the job about getting two thousand dollars at the end, you don't have to do anything. You're just you're going to a party, you know, and you're just be entertaining at a party. And then what you find out what the party actually is because at first i'm like damn two thousand dollars that's nice but then when you see what what the two thousand dollars is for is like damn you got ripped yeah. off and I, like that is and, and i loved how the woman was like you're being paid handsomely for being here and i'm like no, no that not. is not like two grand that is not worth two grand sorry and i think that's no. i think that's i'm sure that that's the point that yeah. they, that these women are are so desperate, they're being exploited into doing this for far less than what they sh- should be, what anybody should be paid to do something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie really worked for me. I, I I enjoy this one actually quite a bit. I was all right. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised in some areas, other areas, and like a, a lot of the build up just didn't work for me. Yeah, see, I was, I was really, I was really into the build-up. I was, I was really on the edge of my seat. Uh, Larry Fessenden's in it. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the surprise. It's not a spoiler. He doesn't get killed. I think it's one of the first movies I've seen him in in a long time where he doesn't get it in the end. And not only does he not get killed, but he's actually like, he plays like a super clean. Yeah, guy. he's like wearing a suit and he's at this swanky party. He's all cleaned up. It's like wow. He's all cleaned up and he's not dying. This is this is different. It's interesting. I just played a, uh, a a video game this week called Hidden Agenda, and Larry Fessenden wrote it, and he's in it too. And I'm like, even in even in video game form, there he is. <laughs> and he plays a he plays a uh, a garbage man, I think, in it. So yeah, he's yeah. pretty scuzzy in it. Not the garbage men are scuzzy. He plays a scuzzy <laughs> garbage man. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was that uh, this was the winner of the narrative competition at this year's South by Southwest. Okay. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, let's go ahead and give it a score. Kevin, what are you going to give most beautiful Island? I'll give it like a five and a half, six. Wow. That seems pretty low. I mean, I don't know. It's, it worked enough for me that, like her next film 
I will check out. But this one, I wasn't, I wasn't too high on. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this like I like the I like the craft behind it. This is a debut. Should be mentioned. Yeah, I think she definitely showcased some talent. Yeah, I think this was a pretty strong debut. Uh, one one other thing that I that I thought was one of the weaker elements was the the performances I thought were pretty. I, was, <laughs> I I just I was thinking in my head I was like ah oh, I forgot to mention that the acting yeah because I was like I should have said that to more justify my score I was like ah oh, I'll wait until Adam's done <laughs> and as soon as you yeah. said I was like he's gonna mention the acting yeah. I know because there's a couple of scenes that are rough. there there are some yeah it's the, it's not ne- when she, it's not the dialogue the dialogue I think is fine it's just the the delivery, unfortunately, is not there. Man, dude, the when she goes to the clinic. Oh yeah, I mean that's one of those things where you're like, how did this play a festival? Yeah, you can't be in here or whatever he says. Yeah, hey, hey. <laughs> like, oh, sh- oh shit, are you serious? And like immediately, like a second later, he's like, you're not gonna leave, are you? And you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's like one of those things. This is. <laughs> Being being shot on sixteen millimeter and the the just the camera style and the way that it was shot, it had this sort of neo realism look to it. And whenever you have movies like that that incorporate non actors, I don't, I, I think that guy was an actor, but either non actors or actors that are not very good at acting, uh, yeah, it 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 just yeah. it makes it stick out even more. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> it was rough too, because that was towards the yeah. beginning. And when that happened, I was just like, oh shit, this is going to be terrible. Yeah. Cause there's not a whole lot of dialogue at the beginning. And then that scene hits and you're just like, "Ooh, yeesh. Yeah. Not starting off good. I mean, it does get better. I'll give it that. I mean, it's not out, out and out just atrociousness throughout, but I mean, there's some rough spots. Let's not lie. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty easy to forgive questionable acting unless it's like horrible the whole way through and the dialogue shitty too. It's doesn't bother me too much. Uh, all right, so I think I will give this. I'm sitting somewhere between a six and a half, seven on this. Somewhere <laughs> somewhere in between there. Probably leaning more towards the six and a half on this one. But uh, I think it's I think it is worth checking out just just for those few really cringe-worthy moments that... Uh, yeah, and I think these are both of these movies, Princess Sid and Most Beautiful Island, are the type of movies like, if you if you were to tell me that you loved them, I could see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd be like, yeah, I see that. And if you said, like, oh, that, that just did not work for me at all, I could see mm-hmm. that, too. These, It's just, it's these two films are those types I don't of films. Think, I, I don't think that I would be able to... If somebody told me that they outright hated one of these two, I would I'd be like, why? You know, they're they're so inoffensive. But yeah, that's, I, but but, that's but that's again, if if somebody's like, eh, they they weren't that great. I really they didn't really do much for me. That then I would be able to understand that for sure. But uh, most beautiful island is on VOD right now, so you can give this one a look. All right, let's move on and talk about someone we're watching on the watch list i think i think i started it off last time it was a few couple weeks ago we didn't do one last week so we'll start it with you kevin what, what you got going on some some of these are slightly old that's fine I, i'm gonna mention a couple they haven't done this yeah, i'm gonna while. mention a couple old ones too i watched that pete's dragon mm-hmm. that new, that new, new one. one okay little david lowry yeah i don't know i don't think i've ever seen like the original pete's dragon it was, it was, I, I didn't like it. I never liked the original. Um, I thought the, like the dragon in, in the, uh, the, the David Lowry one, uh, is an odd choice. It, it makes sense to make him like, he just seems like a big dog with wings, like a big green dog. I didn't really get a, a dragon vibe from him. Well, in the original, it was but like really I cartoony. Think, like he, it was very, but wasn't he like an actual dragon though? He was a dragon, yeah, but he was just cartoony. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like this, I like if you show that to me, I'm like, that's not a dragon. Mm, okay, that's a that's a green dog with some wings. It's weird, uh, but I kind of get it because him being this green dog, I just loved him. 
So I kind of I kind of understand that that I, I I would imagine that that's really easy to get that to connect with kids. So I kind of understand that idea. Um, everything that involved non dragon stuff, like the the family aspects of it, and the like the bad brother played who's that Carl Urban is that his name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That stuff. No, like none of that stuff worked for me. It was just so it was so basic formulaic and every time that they cut away from the dragon it was just like this is not interesting at all and it, to be quite honest like i almost got to the end of this movie and i was like man nothing's really happening yet and i checked and there was only like 20 minutes left i'm like damn we really didn't even do anything it just seemed hmm. like there's there should have been more i mean you're dealing with a dragon they're saving it for it seems like dragon you have too. a lot more to do with dragons, there's a dragon and a little kid that was raised by a dragon. I mean, it seems ripe with storytelling possibilities. And they told a, a fairly mundane one with a giant green dragon that can do camouflage stuff. Like, he can do so many things. Hmm. Might have to it was check better it out. than a ghost story. I mean, it was better than that, but... Yeah, I might have to give it a look. I was slightly interested just for the Lowry factor. It is interesting to see, like, at, at the very beginning, I think, it's a, you know, it's a Disney movie with a Bonnie Prince Billy song in it, <laughs> which is just, I never thought that that would happen. Yeah. But there it is. And that's one, that's Play Instant on uh, Netflix right now. All right. So that's Pete's Dragon. I saw Brimstone and Glory. This is directed by Victor Jekyllvelsky probably pronouncing that wrong uh so this is a documentary about the fireworks festival in uh tultepec tultepec mexico probably pronouncing that wrong too this is the i believe the biggest fireworks festival probably in the world it's the way that the film is shot it's very much um i would compare it to maybe the like the katsi series or Baraka, one of those, where mm -hmm. it pretty much lets the visuals tell the story. Uh, mm -hmm. There's very little interaction with the subjects, although there is some, like, sort of sort of interviews in a way, but the way that it's done, it, it's not like okay. your talking head style thing. It Basically, the camera just floats through the city. It just floats through the city. It goes everywhere. It does everything. They give... The so every year they do this giant they have this giant fireworks festival and it takes it takes place over like two days three days and it is wild it is the craziest shit you will ever see it like I'm not a big fireworks guy okay and this when you see this you're just like oh my god these people are insane they basically so like the first night to kick it off they build these huge structures these like giant towers uh that are completely they're, they're just like wireframe structures they're like castles sort of and they're just covered with fireworks and they build like six of these things and they just light them up and like it just looks so incredible and in the film right like the night that they're putting the finishing touches on them uh, a storm hits and lightning hits one oh, of no. the towers and they they catch it on on camera it's awesome and it actually ignites one of these towers so these guys are like freaking out because they don't want they already lost one of the towers they don't want to lose they don't want the fireworks to you know ignite cuz they're so close together they don't want them to ignite the other ones so these guys are climbing up this tower while the fireworks are going off and they don't have, like, safety harnesses or anything. And this is, like, I don't know, 50, 100 feet up. They're just climbing it like it's a ladder. And it's, like, swaying back and forth because it's a storm. There's lightning yeah. hitting everywhere. And they put GoPros on their hats. Are you serious? Yeah. So you get to see, like, the whole time. And it's it's just such a uh, – th this movie is absolutely breathtaking. Ben Zeitlin does the music for it so if you liked the score of beast of the southern wild it definitely has that same vibe to it and for me that was one of the things that i liked the most about beast of the southern wild was the score 
Uh, so the music in this is absolutely awesome. It fits perfectly with within the the subject matter, uh, and I loved it. I think it is absolute like uh, probably one of the best documentaries I've seen this year. So I just I want to throw out because this sounds really great. I want to check this out, and I just want to throw out too if if it sounds great to you um, on Netflix is I, I don't know if you saw the documentary Skyladder. Oh yeah, I saw. I didn't see. I didn't watch it. I've seen the trailers and stuff, but I'm I'm a, I'm familiar with it. I mean, some of the they show like a lot of his like fireworks art displays that he does, and holy shit! Like I didn't even know that you could do that with fireworks. Yeah one one of my favorite scenes in this movie. So they're they get the tower situated, the one that went off with after it got hit by lightning, and then so the crowds forming, and there's like thousands of people at this thing. And they're getting ready. They're like, okay, let's do it. Let's let's light these these things up. So they 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 cut to one of the guys who has the GoPro on his head, and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and he's just walking around. And you know, it's it's a GoPro, so it's like a POV shot, basically. So you see in the mm-hmm. bottom of the screen the cigarette hanging out of his mouth as he's walking around, like fixing this stuff. And then he tears the fuses, and he's lighting all the fuses with the cigarette that he's smoking. <laughs> And it's just like these people, it's crazy. And they, they make all the fireworks in the town as well. So they make them themselves. They set them up. They light them up. And then the other thing they do the next day is they have this sort of like running of the bulls type thing. But they make these giant bull figures that have like wheels on them. And they just push them through the town. And there's like tons of people. They push them through the crowd like at high speed. They like run. And then... As they push them through the crowd, they light them up and fireworks are pointed out from the bull. So there's just shooting fireworks into the crowd. It's insane. And then they set up, they they have like mobile triage uh, centers because so many people get burned and injured there that they basically have like fully staffed. They take like tractor trailer, um, you know, beds like the, and they set those up as like, mobile response units for people that get injured because there's so many people that get hurt. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is a must see brimstone and glory. Uh, This is playing now in LA. I believe Uh, I think it's coming out the 22nd. I want to say New York, but uh, when it, when it hits like VOD or whatever, if you can see it in the theater, I would highly recommend seeing it in the theater. Okay. Uh, I saw Mark Rosman's, the House on Sorority Row from 1983. Oh, okay. Uh, man, this one was disappointing as all hell. Oh. Like, this one didn't, just really didn't do anything for me. Like, nothing really worked. Um, except some of, like, the hallucination stuff towards the end. When the character, the main character, the main girl gets, uh, she kind of gets, like, a, a sedative or whatever. And she starts seeing some things. That was interesting. Um but unfortunately, it took a while to get there. So there was a bunch of like kind of mundane stuff happening to until we get to the end there. And then just a lot of the story just wasn't really working for me. You know, they, they kill the house mother or whatever, dump her in the water in the pool. And they're like, let's have our party. We'll just we'll deal with it later. And then like, you know, in the party, they, they find she's not in the pool anymore. We thought she was dead. Where could she be? Which, okay, all of it makes sense. Everything's, yeah, I would be concerned too. Where is she? And then they end up finding her in the attic. Like she drops down from the attic and they're like, oh man, how'd she get up there? And it's like, what the fuck? How do you put a woman in the pool? You shot her, you put her in the pool. You know that she was in there for quite some time. She had to drown if she was still alive when you threw her back in there. How are you not at all like, like overwhelmingly concerned that she has now dropped from the attic. You got to realize something's going on here, but they don't, but you do because the way they set it up in the beginning, you know, like right away what's going on, but they keep trying to like play it. Like no one knows like, Oh, it's gonna And then they do like this reveal thing at the end. And it's like, well, no shit. We already knew this, but you did a terrible job of handling this reveal. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it, just, it was, uh, uh-uh. I was sorely disappointed. This was a uh, a Grindhouse Weekly feature for us back in July of 2014. Oh, yeah? Yep. 
There you go. So you can check that out if you'd like. <laughs> uh, let's see. I saw I saw Hellraiser Revelations from 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was this not only the worst in the Hellraiser series, but possibly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It was... Mm. Now, the Hellraiser movies, they go downhill pretty fast. If you listen to our, our uh, Halloween episode last week, I, I talked about the series a little bit. It does go downhill pretty fast after part two. But, man, it hits rock bottom so hard in Revelations, which is the... I want to say it's the seventh uh, in the series. Basically, this was just... It was made... It was not made for... Uh, to make a profit, it was just made to retain the rights to the series. Yeah. So you, you could probably blame Weinstein for this. I think I think uh, it was like Dimension that that holds the rights, which is owned by the Weinstein Company. I think. Oh boy, it is so bad. One thing I noticed about the Hellraiser, the later Hellraiser movies, is that they attempt to cash in on popular subgenres of horror at the time. That are, that like like. Uh, one of them, and the the one in two thousand five that I think it was two thousand five that that uh, Scott Derrickson directed felt a lot like Seven. It had this kind of police, like grim police procedural David Fincher esque feel to it. And then, mm-hmm. and then uh, some of the, some of the later ones felt like Saw movies. Uh, Hell World was one that felt sort of like a Saw movie. And then uh, Revelations. This one has some found footage in it at the beginning thank god it doesn't go full-on found footage uh but it's pointless to have it at the beginning basically it's about these two utter uh, complete and utter asshole fucks that go to tijuana and one of them basically rapes and murders a woman and then they, they end up finding the hellraiser box and conjuring up pinhead and his and his cronies and it's like, for the, the whole movie, I'm just like, why do I care about any of this? I hope Pinhead and the rest of them kill all of these fucking people. Because everybody is horrible in this movie. There's a scene where a brother and sister start making out for some reason. And, the, 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 and like, the sister starts hitting on her boyfriend's dad for some reason. And it's just, there's all of these just horrible, offensive, misogynistic things that are happening in this movie and you're just like why does any of this exist why is this in here and it was one of the few movies that like physically made me angry like i was i felt anger in my heart kevin i i hated it so much it was atrocious on every single level just it's just if you're trying to go through the hellraiser series and you want to like do what i did and just complete the whole series skip this one just don't even bother with it they didn't even get doug bradley back to be pinhead they got some other guy and when you see him he looks like a cartoon character it is laughable this guy does he doesn't even look close to pinhead and 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 even the picture on the cover of of that i don't think that's even him when you see him in the movie i'm sure you can find screenshots he it's utterly ridiculous I feel like I might have to watch this. Ah, just just know it's going to make you angry. Just the... I just want to see how angry it makes me. I, I would have something nearby to, like, punch. Just I want to, I have, want to do it in order so we can have, it like, an anger contest. Yeah. On the podcast. Yeah. Who can get the angriest at it? Well, if anybody else just has rage. seen Hellraiser Revelations, let me know in the comments how angry it made you. Because holy shit, did this thing get to me? Mm. Uh, I have a it's a three short films. It's playing right now on LaCinemaClub.com. So you can go there right now. You can pop that up there in the address bar. Go to LaCinemaClub.com and you can watch Kenzo Season Zero. So it's uh, three short films. You have a new one from Maddie Diop. A new one from Eduardo Williams, who's the the director of The Human Surge, which I just remembered that I really need to see that one because I heard really good things about that. 
And then there's another short from Baptist uh, Benetti Cobra. And all three, I, I enjoyed all three of them. I thought they were all, they were all solid. But uh, Benetti Cobra's short at the end is just, I found it to be absolutely hilarious. It's just two people uh, talking, uh, having this weird monologue about orange juice. Like they just really get into orange juice and they just take it to absurd levels of how like orange juice is the greatest thing in the world. And I, for whatever reason, just watching them deliver this monologue and just getting, you know, just being so committed to orange juice, I found to be absolutely hilarious. So the three of them together are, I think it's like 15 minutes long. All three of them were worth it, but the the last one, the third one, is to be was the highlight. Okay, and you can check those out on lucinema.com. So give that a look. Uh, I saw Thor Ragnarok. Ooh, yeah, it's directed by Ta- right. directed by Taika Waititi. All right, yeah, I was pretty excited for this one. Uh, now I was never a big fan of the Thor movies. They were they were fine, but I I thought that they were always sort of the weaker of the Marvel movies. Uh, this one changes mm-hmm. that. This one was it was the the best Thor movie, not the best Marvel movie, I would say, but definitely up there. It was one of the most fun. Uh, this is like pretty much a straight up comedy. It is. It's funny. Like it's it's more of a it's more a Marvel movie than it is a Taika Waititi movie. But that's you know something that mm-hmm. we kind of all suspected mm-hmm. anyway. However. Yeah. There are so many little winks and nods in this that when you see it, you'll know it's his movie, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. like for instance, he plays this, like, <laughs> he voices this, like, rock creature who is unbelievably hilarious. Uh, there's these, like, just, there's so many little in-jokes and things. Like, there's the scene where they're doing this, like, play uh on asgard that's with with um with thor and loki and loki is played by matt damon and thor's played by luke hemsworth and it's so funny and there's just lots of little touches in it in it that that really make it something special and the the visuals in this are like way different and way better than all the other thor movies uh because a lot of it takes place on different planets and there's there's more of a sci-fi element to it and it looks awesome just all the production design looks looks really cool uh and i can't remember her name but she plays the uh the 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 police woman in um hunt for the wilder people you know the one who's like he's a bad egg like that that woman uh does she play topaz uh could be what's her name Rachel House. That's yeah, that that could be her. She was hilarious. Oh my god. She played Jeff Goldblum's like assistant, like her number one. And Jeff Goldblum just plays Jeff Goldblum in this. He is full on Goldblum, which is um, amazing and you always want a movie that's full on Goldblum. Uh Sam Neill's in it too. Sam Neill plays uh Odin in the in the fake play and he's he's <laughs> hilarious so there's there's like all these like small things in it um the action's decent the only the only thing is it at the end of the day it is a marvel movie like it definitely follows the same beats there mm-hmm. the the conflicts are very similar uh certainly the villain Kate Blanchett, is way better in this than most of the marvel villains but like all the other marvel movies she's underdeveloped and doesn't have as much to work with uh, she probably should because she's incredible. Uh, Mark Ruffalo comes back as the Hulk, and he's he's awesome. We get a lot of Hulk in this one. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch comes back as Doctor Strange. There's a great scene with Doctor Strange. Really funny. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I think you. I think you'll yeah. have fun with it. I'm looking forward to it. That's all I got. All right. Um. Let's see. I'll. I'll mention I saw Brisby Bear, Brigsby Bear. This is directed by Dave McCary. Didn't really know what to expect with this one. I was uh, I was hoping that it would be kind of a, a fun little indie comedy, and uh, I found this movie to be very delightful. 
this is this movie is a delight. It is very funny. Tons of great quotable one-liners in there. Uh, if you're not familiar, it stars Kyle Mooney as this uh, guy who was kidnapped as a baby and kept in this sort of um, sort of like a fallout shelter his whole life. And his kidnapped uh, kidnapper father is played by Mark Hamill, and he creates this whole he creates this TV show to keep him entertained and to sort of teach him life lessons. And he sends him one of these tapes every single week. And he, it's called Brigsby bear. And he sort of becomes obsessed with it. And then finally, when the police come and release him into the world, he realizes that there's no ending. And he decides that he wants to make a Brigsby bear movie and have it be the, the conclusion of the the whole series. (laughs) Slightly goofy. Uh, it, it gets a little, little too sweet at times, a little too saccharine. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's really, it gets very sentimental at times, but overall it's, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought that it, it definitely kind of tugged on my, on my heartstrings a little bit. Um, so it's a, just a charming little film. Brigsby bear. I'd recommend checking that out. All right, let's move on. And. Let's talk about new releases uh, coming out this week in theaters. Let's see what we have. We got Mayhem. That's directed by... That's the new Joe Lynch one. It's a horror movie. Uh, I just caught that today. Um, I'll talk about it more next week, and I'll have a review uh, up for it. But I would say maybe a light recommend. Thumper. That's another thriller that's coming out. Um, I'll probably be checking that one out as well. Murder on the Orient Express. What do you think about this one? The uh, Kenneth Brano one. Uh, no thanks. No thanks. I'm digging the uh, the no. trailers and the the marketing material for this one. Uh, I like that what they're doing with that. I'll check it out. Why not? Daddy's Home Two. The Will Ferrell. I didn't even know there was a Daddy. Daddy's Home. <laughs> I didn't you know, know about the first one. Like I saw a trailer. I forget what I did. I forgot. What, I forget what we were watching, but there was a trailer for it before the movie, and I'm just like, where was I? I don't remember the first one existing at all. Uh, I didn't see it. I remember when it came out. I won't be seeing this one either. It's that's just not my not my cup of tea. We got three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That one. That one. I'm really excited for. Could could be top ten material. That one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Bitch. That's a uh, very strange sounding comedy with Jason Ritter and Jamie King about a, a like a. She's like a overworked, overstressed mom who turns into a dog. Like she not not physically, but like mentally turns into a, a ravenous feral dog. Okay. And they have to like keep her in the basement. Oh, all right. Yeah, seems hmm. seems a little odd. Might I'll probably check that one out. Sounds kind of interesting. We got Destination Unknown. We got Amanda and Jack go glamping. Okay. Uh. Well, that that sounds uh, not great. Has a really bad cover. We got the price. We have no greater love. Intent to destroy. I remember you. We have Genesis. Paradise Lost. My goodness. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it in theaters. VOD this week we have uh, Blade of the Immortal, which comes out on the eighth. That's the new Takeshi Miike one that hit limited release this week. Uh, we do have a review for that up on the site. I'll be checking that one out. I'm I'm really interested in that. It looks awesome. Uh, and I'm, I'm all about Miyake going back to his the samurai stories. Mm-hmm. And this is about a samurai who can't die and he has to keep killing people in order to stay immortal, I think. I think that's what, the way it goes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, something like that. So, uh, yes. Yes, please. I think it is long, though. I think it's like two hours and 20 minutes long. So uh, we have The Ballad of Lefty Brown. That's on DirecTV. I'm not, not too sure about what that's. Oh, that's, that's still a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. A24 is releasing that. It's a, it's a Western with Bill Pullman. Oh, well, you know that it's terrible. It looks. I saw the trailer. That does not look great, honestly. On the 10th, we have Amanda and Jack go glamping. Uh, Mayhem and yeah. Radius. Cool. So there you have your bunch of boring titles. Yeah, 
Mayhem's fun. Uh, might recommend Mayhem. Okay. Blu-ray. Right. Blu-ray for November 7th, this Tuesday, we have The Limehouse Golem. It's an okay kind of procedural, little Victorian London, Jack the Ripper-esque story. Kind of fun. Killing Ground, probably one of the best horror movies to come out this year. It's an Australian uh, horror film, so I'd recommend that. We've got Cars 3. We'll have a, uh, we should have a Blu-ray review for that up. I never saw Cars one or two, but uh, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna give Cars three a look. <laughs> uh, Your name is coming out. Uh, very, very acclaimed, very acclaimed. Yeah. Japanese animation film. What do we have on the old Criterion front this week? Uh, we have one, Philadelphia Story. From George Cougar, with Cary uh, Grant, James Stewart, Catherine Hepburn. Oh, man. Classic. 1940. 1940 classic. Yeah, I want to see this. I've not seen it, so I can't I can't tell you anything about it. Other than it's going to be on Criterion Blu-ray. Yeah. On Tuesday. Well, maybe give that a look. There you go. And with that, I think we are at the end of this week's show thank you so much for listening you can send us your questions and topics to podcast filmpulse.net you can follow us on twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin you have a minute take a look at our patreon page patreon.com slash filmpulse consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber for kevin rakestraw my name is adam patterson we will see you next week <laughs>